coming up on This Week in Games. It's time to review 2019 in its fullest. The news stories, the big acquisitions, and the games that we all played. Let's celebrate 2019 on This Week in Games. All right, you know the drill. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and before we kick off the 2019 celebration, I'm happy to announce we're two years old. That's right. Two years ago, um, January uh, 2018, I started this podcast. I think the first episode, I had 10 listeners, and all 10 of those listeners were just bots that downloaded crap off SoundCloud. I've grown to a modest but very, very thankful um, following um yeah this will be my 96th episode of this week in games and i'm deeply humbled by everyone that listens and i hope that i brought something valuable to your life through this podcast whether it's like information or just enjoyment in general thank you everyone um i don't do this for money <laughs> i have no sponsors this is a very niche subject so if you're listening i truly appreciate it and hopefully you know you enjoy this all right Enough, 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 enough of that. Um, let's kick it off. <laughs> Time for the shit talking of 2019. First up, Google Stadia. The announcement at GDC, bringing newly minted VP of Games Jade Raymond on stage, and then kind of nothing. You know, I haven't heard a peep out of the Stadia fateful for a while. Google announced a bunch of ex-Ubisoft directors and GMs as new hires and acquired kind of a double-A studio, but... With Journey to the Savage Planet being the biggest upcoming exclusive for Stadia, things don't look good. I mean, like, if you think about other consoles, they have console releases, Halo, Mario, Zelda, Final Fantasy exclusive, something, you know, something to sink your teeth in. And Stadia kind of just, like, maybe out of arrogance, just, like, ignored all of this history. I don't I don't know what they thought was going to happen. And... It's kind of such a whimper that I still haven't received my Stadia access code, and I still don't care enough to call customer support to get it. Like, my Stadia Collector's Edition is just, you know, sitting on my shelf collecting dust. That being said, okay, Google has more cash and reserves than any other public company on the planet, so if they really want to get serious, shit could get serious really fast. So 2020, we'll see cloud gaming competitors enter the market, and although cloud gaming doesn't look like the next console paradigm quite yet, it will be kind of a five-year five story that we'll see before our eyes. And, you know, all it takes is for Google, Google, Google to kind of like, you know, take the nozzle off the cash hose and stick it into Stadia. And we could have a serious competitor on our hands. Why they're not doing it, I don't know. You know, um, what it would take for Google to kind of like Sundar Pichai, Pichai, oh, I'm sorry, I can't believe I even worked there at one point. <laughs> what it would take for CEO Sundar to kind of like say, you know what, Stadia, here's $1 billion. Go get at it. You know, I don't know. I don't know what they're waiting for. I don't know what they expect from Stadia. But, you know, I think it's a five-year story that we'll have to wait and see. But Stadia, as far as 2019 concerned, not great. 
But who is doing great? The Epic Game Store. Though it was launched in, to, in December 2018, Epic Game Store really entered the headlines in 2019 with exclusive games. Epic was paying out forecasted revenue across all platforms to gain exclusivity rights to titles in 2019. So if you had an indie title and you're going to release it on Windows, PS4, Switch, Xbox, blah, 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 something else, you know, you would just send over it from what it sounds like. I, I wasn't involved in any of these conversations. From what it sounds like, you could just send over Epic what you forecasted your game to make, and they would give you that amount of money, and then you would release your game on Epic Game Store only and get to keep all the revenue you made. Sounds great. Gamers thought this was terrible. Um, You know, everyone complains about the you know, launcher apocalypse, how every game is going to have its own launcher. Every publisher has its own launcher. As a developer, I love this. Competition breeds innovation and drives prices down for users and also like, you know, gets, you know, us more options as developers. I applaud Epic for fighting the Play Store with the Android version of Fortnite and for fighting Monopoly that Valve had on the PC digital stores. So the Epic Game Store, pretty good 2019. Another 2019 that was interesting i guess was twitch and the exodus of talent to mixer facebook and youtube as what i call like the streamer draft took place speaking of monopolies um, amazon's streaming darling twitch was challenged in 2019 by microsoft mixers facebook's whatever they call it and google's youtube tyler ninja blevins the reigning king of twitch departed the platform for exclusive contract with mixer Following that was more talent jumping trip to sign exclusive contacts with other platforms and Twitch after many months of losing talent finally countered by signing their own talent to exclusive contracts to stay on Twitch. 2018 showed that the true power of gaming streamers with Fortnite's tactic of paying its way to the top and kind of like, you know, one single swoop of two weeks clobbering PUBG, you know. 2019 was the year that streamers started being used as pawns for fang companies. So, you know, like, look at it. We have Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. These are companies that do not see, you know, a ninja as a person. They see ninja as a pawn in their game. And $50 million, they fart $50 million, so they don't even care. So they're just going to throw money and piss each other off and try to, like, build up their own platforms. I think game streamers are going to keep growing in terms of pay and importance to the industry. And I think, you know, this is only the beginning. Like Dr. Disrespect is getting some kind of like origin story television series. I think game streamers are just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. And they're going to be more professional in the coming years. Like, you know, you're going to see like talent agencies get around them, give them writers give them dress people, give them like full production studios. I think this is only the beginning. And I think the sky's the limit, honestly. I mean, I'm not even making this like, I'm a pretty pessimistic guy. I think game streamers have a long ways to go and they're going to get there. Next up, Apple Arcade. Apple had enough of mobile gaming's predatory monetization methods and it wanted to continue its service first narrative that I was putting out in its quarterly earning reports. So it put $500 million towards over 100 exclusive premium games with no ads, no IPs, and no bullshit. Unfortunately, Apple Arcade didn't cause the immediate change that people hoped for, but with exclusive titles like Sayonara, Wild Hearts, Mobile Version, Oceanhorn 2, and, you know, I think this game's pretty good, Card of Darkness, it is clear that Apple is serious about cleaning up its store. I expect Apple Arcade to have an increasing impact and slowly turn the tide of psychologically taking advantage of users to take their money and introduce quality experiences for a fair price. 
honestly, the price you pay for Apple Arcade and the entertainment you get, if you play mobile games, I, I don't know why you're not paying for this, right? Um, outside of that, it's hard. It's going to be hard to pry away the people from the current free-to-play crops of games because if you make a premium game, it's not as obvious why you use all these tactics to keep people hooked and engaged with your game, right? But if you make a free-to-play game, you have to use them all. But what we need is we need premium games that aren't predatory and aren't invasive, but still use a lot of the techniques that keep engagement. And that's how you're going to fight this like kind of proxy war. <laughs> that's my opinion. I'm just saying stuff here, people. All right, next up, Blizzard's Hearthstone Hong Kong protest. So Hearthstone champion... Hearthstone Championship player Chung Blitzchung Nguai, probably said that wrong, very sorry, made comments of support for Hong Kong protesters. Blizzard immediately rescinded his Grandmaster Championship money, I think it was $10,000, and banned him for a year from competition. The pushback from the internet was swift and powerful, and one of the few times I think everyone can agree the internet shit-talking someone was actually for good. Um, Blizzard apologized, returned the money, and toned down the ban to six months, but with China's chokehold on game approvals and Blizzard anxiously looking over many of their games to be released in China, BlizzCon this year saw that new CEO address a controversy, but not to the satisfaction and links that fans wanted. I don't think this is the end of this. I think, you know, a lot of people are very passionate about Blizzard. They see it as like, the company for the people however they forget that blizzard is now owned by activision and everyone that made the games that you love at blizzard likely don't work at blizzard anymore so blizzard's not the same company um and they really want china to work because china is like a billion people and a lot of money and blizzard already knows everyone in north america is going to buy their games who is going to buy them anyways right they're not getting any more new users so they're looking to China for expansion. They don't know how to deal with this. I kind of see it from both sides. I don't have an answer for you people. <laughs> All right, next up. GameStop stock. Okay, this is like one of the saddest stories. Starting the year at nearly $16 a share, 2019 saw North America's retail gaming giant fall to nearly $3 a share. Oh my gosh, it's unheard of. Like the future of gaming retail is rough and conservatism kind of slowed the death of retail but that conservatism and like you know resistance to change that needed to happen at GameStop finally caught up with them and you know like emergency redesigns and expansions in the local esports are underway but the only thing that didn't lose revenue year over year were plastic collectibles at GameStop like everything else is failing they're in dire straits um Michael Barry from <laughs> the big shorts for is rumored to hold a giant share of GameStop. He's probably mad. <laughs> I mean, it's sad because, you know, when you look at this, does gaming need a retail store in 2020? My money is yes. Like, as a game industry, we need a flagship retail store. We probably need three of them. We need three of them competing with each other for customers. All right. The problem is, what does a retail store look like for gaming in 2020? I have no clue. I don't know how you take a retail store and actually turn a profit in gaming. I think local esports is a great like start to that. I think maybe like launch events and trying to like work with like 
I don't know, like local development talent, maybe like have like people launch indie games at GameStops and sign copies. I don't know. There's got to be stuff there. And, you know, if we lose GameStop, although we all like hate GameStop for a lot of reasons that we can name, you know, it's a big loss for the industry. So I'm very curious to see how retail, especially gaming retail recovers in 2020, but 2019 (laughs) probably the worst year in history for them. All right, this is a smaller story, but I think it shocked a lot of people. Activision Blizzard, or Activision Blizzard, Activision and Bungie fight publicly in 2019. So Bungie and Activision in their 10-year publishing stint with the Destiny series early. It just seemed like all of a sudden, like they were like, I can't stand you anymore, go away. I don't know who paid off who, but from the looks of it, it looks like Destiny could be dead for the foreseeable future because Bungie took a rumored $100 million investment to start a new IP after the breakup, and who they take that money from? Netties. It's a hard one. Like, Bungie is almost too much trouble for a single publisher. They're too big. They have passionate fan base. They produce amazing games. And then when anything doesn't fall or hit their expectations, they kind of blame the publisher. And the publisher, vice versa, you know, to lure Bungie to your publisher you have to give them like a blank check, you know? And when Bungie doesn't return that blank check, you're going to blame Bungie. Bungie's going to blame you for like meddling in their games and it's never going to end well. So it almost makes sense for Bungie to kind of like lose studio equity to try to go it at their own without a publisher. Like I just, they're, they're too big. It'd be like if Epic Games had a publisher, but still own like a triple A game engine and Fortnite and some of these other games and like this VR stuff, like it wouldn't make sense. So that's how I feel about Bungie at this point. It's probably better if you go at it alone. I don't think this was that big of a story, but people, man, people went crazy when Activision and Bungie fought. So 2019, the breakup. All right, 2019 also saw loot boxes fight back. So multiple hearings around the world have shaken the free-to-play technique to its core. The U.S. and U.K. are pissed. Countries in Europe outright banning certain loot box techniques. And 2019 was a regulatory backlash for the game industry for not fixing its gambling problem. Uh, gosh, like being loot box free is now becoming the new organic. It's like a stamp of approval, a stamp of like premium quality, like if you care about your health, you're going to pay a little bit more for my loot box free game. EA is now pulling loot boxes from future releases. Epic is like developing transparent loot boxes. I think they already made Psionic put in transparent quote unquote blueprint loot boxes in the Rocket League. Loot boxes, like, ugh, it's kind of like, you know, it's a harder cold subject. Like some companies are hooked up to the loot box IV drip. And some companies are trying to pull that IV out of their veins and like move on to other things. I hope 2020 isn't the year we have governmental reviews for games because that's where this is going, people. Like if we keep tricking, you know, people who have gambling, people who are like, people who are psychologically, maybe even biologically, like more at risk to gambling techniques, if we keep tricking them and taking their money or we keep tricking uneducated people or tricking kids into spending money like the government it's, it's going to be like china like the government has to approve your game for release that's where we're heading is that where you want to be no let's fight back to the loot boxes come on guys we can do better but kind of an uplifting story of 2018 to finish off our news segment 
Reggie Phil's aim retires. The man, the myth, the legend. Reggie Phil aim seems to be kind of like one of the most respectable icons in the game industry. I believe I saw him first on Tech TV when Reggie became president and chief operating officer of Nintendo America. This was in 2006. I believe they, like, Tech TV was airing, like, E3 press conferences, and I think that year was when Nintendo was still doing E3 press conferences, and they brought him on stage, and they introduced him, and he came off as, like, awkward and a bit goofy, and nothing like, nothing like I expected a game executive to be. It was so different from other executives, like, it, and it was almost fake, and I remember being, there's this, like, big backlash where, like, uh, who's this like jackass who Nintendo is like pushing out in front and he seems fake and he's not a gamer because back then that was like the insult you could throw at people in the industry. Oh, the, he's not a real gamer, blah, 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 blah. But after 13 years, I feel like I couldn't be more wrong. Reggie was a big, goofy fan of Nintendo and a great representation of the game industry leadership. You know, I've never heard a single bad thing about him, which is unheard of in this industry. And, you know, like... I think we can all like look at him as kind of like an icon. Like I have plenty of faults as a person. And if I was like president and chief operating officer of Nintendo America right now, as I am today, gosh, I mean, you'd probably see me rant. You'd probably see me say a bunch of inappropriate things. You saw I'd talk shit about competitors. I'd talk shit about my own games. It'd be a mess. But Reggie is a class act, you know, Reggie is something the industry needs more of. We need more Reggies. Yeah, the industry's going to miss you, man. Um, hope you enjoy retirement. All right, let's go over some quick business news. I, I didn't really know what to do for the business news sections. I didn't want to do fundraising, biggest fundraising of 2019. People don't even find fundraising interesting. I just mentioned it because it's kind of the theme of the show, and it's important to talk about fundraising, whether it's big and sexy or not. But I threw in some acquisitions of the year. These are North American centric. So, you know, don't get mad at me. Um, and also I didn't throw in Nexon because after their big publicity stunt to auction off Nexon, um, it didn't work and Nexon's still owned by that one family. So these are the three acquisitions of the year. First up, Epic acquires Psionic. So Fortnite and Rocket League have finally come together <laughs> this acquisition was a bit out of left field for me, as I thought Psionics enjoyed their independence and Rocket League looked to make pretty good money, but it seems like it just makes sense. Seems like both parties are happy. I don't see any like animosity. Pretty good acquisition. This one's a bit rarer. Microsoft acquired Double Fine. So this is definitely out of left field acquisition. Double Fine was the Kickstarter record breaker. The weird kid in the class, the quirky indie studio that other indie studios looked up to and said, hey, we can be quirky and weird and still make cool games and everyone love us. Look at Double Fine. And then they joined the most valuable public company in the world, the behemoth Microsoft. Pretty strange, but with the roster under Microsoft, which includes, you know, very respectable studios of all types of game development, Double Fine is in a good home. Microsoft seems to make their development studios happy and Double Fine you know, needs cash to make their amazing games. And I think Double Fine bring a very unique game style to a company like Microsoft, right? And you, the fact that now you can only get Double Fine games maybe on like something like Game Pass, I think it only helps Microsoft and Double Fine's going to be happy because they don't have to worry about doing all these like, it, it, they didn't strike me as like, you know, 
a studio that wants to run and like raise money and do all these business deals. So it's kind of just a win-win for everyone. Great acquisition. All right, last one. Sony buys Insomniac. This was barely a surprise. I actually think the most surprising thing about this acquisition was that people probably thought Sony already owned Insomniac and didn't realize that they just acquired them. Not much to say. I mean, Insomniac and Sony have like kind of been in bed for a while. And although Insomniac has done other games specifically for Xbox, time to go home to Sony. <laughs> like they're right there with Naughty Dog. I think Insomniac and Naughty Dog are like, you know, best buds. Naughty Dog has exclusivity with Sony. Now Sony buys Insomniac. Makes sense. Makes everyone happy. Three good acquisitions of the year, honestly, my opinion. All right. Let's run through some games of the year, and then that's it. So 2019 games of the year. All right, first one, Baba is You, a very creative puzzle game where you kind of creatively write the rules for a level, literally. You piece together words and change the level in the game as it is. Uh, hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Just go watch some gameplay videos. A true testament that a base game design trumps all. You know, I'm not going to shit on the art. I'm not going to shit on other aspects of the game production. I I want to celebrate these games. Baba is You is a great game, and it's so strong in that, like, what the base game design is that, you know, it, it's just amazing. It's something special. All right, next up, Death Stranding. So the risky first offering from the legendary game director, Hideo Kojima, after his public split from Konami. So Death Stranding comes off as a triple-A feast that takes risks where other top titles weren't. Some of those risks succeed, some of them fell, but that's not the point, you know. In today's world where we're getting released the 14th sequel of a killing simulator, we needed a Death Stranding. Like, we need Death Stranding. It's not perfect, okay, but no, no game is perfect, right? And Death Stranding really pushes parts of the industry that need to be pushed, okay? And what I truly expect to happen is more of these games to come out. I want more of these games. And then maybe the zeitgeist in the entire industry can move forward a little bit. And that's what we need. And so we need Death Stranding in 2019. Thank you, Kojima. Next up, Control. I'm embarrassed. So Remedies Control is a game that I haven't played yet. Sad. I know. I'm sorry. All I can say is I've bought it. It appears on pretty much every best game in 2019 list, and Remedy is a Tachnot studio, so I will play this in the coming month, and so should you. Check out Remedy's Control. I think it's on pretty much everything. Go get it. Next up, Outer Wilds. Outer Wilds is not the Outer Worlds, so unfortunately we had two space-themed games with very similar titles. I'm celebrating Outer Wilds. Um, I'm not saying out the Outer Worlds isn't a great game. I didn't play it. Um, but Outer Wilds is an amazing game about the last minutes of a local sun before a supernova. You have 22 minutes before the supernova, and then the game resets. Though the concept sounds a bit like Groundhog's Day, Outer Wilds builds a beautiful mystery that you slowly uncover, you know, each gameplay. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those games that really builds kind of like a compelling, you know, a compelling narrative without giving you a narrative right outright you know and the fact that everything's like a mystery for you to uncover and you slowly uncover it in this creative way it just all works and i'm really happy for the team next up sayonara wild hearts so sayonara wild hearts is an amazing kind of like dreamlike game that flows together very it's it's like the 2019 indie version of nights into dream if you guys remember that 
uh, what was it, a Sega Saturn title? That title was crazy back in the day. I remember when I first saw it, I thought, I was like, what? What is this game, Nights in a Dream? Sayonara Wild Hearts is kind of like, you know, another take on that. But from the beginning, the game kind of sets a pace and style that never lifts and tells an impactful story of the course of like these dreamlike visuals. It's an easy game for everyone to pick up and enjoy, an example of a great blend between art, music, and gameplay at once. I've seen people complain that it's on rails, and it is, but, you know, it works, and I feel like it's just a great purchase, a great game, you know, a real celebration to kind of like these smaller studios that, you know, really figure out the emotions they want to, like, convey, and they really succeed at doing that, and there's some great visuals in this game, and I, you know, this is one that everyone under the sun could play and enjoy. This game is not for everyone. Um, This is my runner-up for Game of the Year for 2019, Disco Elysium. I actually saw this at uh, GDC, and I was like, what the hell is this? This is, like, way too serious for the GDC show floor. Like, there's no way I can get in this mood. Disco Elysium, the best way to say it is it's an adult game we needed. And this isn't an adult game in terms of violence, gore, nudity, sex, or anything you would find in a mature rated game this is an adult game in the sense that it's made for adults you know the best example i can give is the wire is my favorite show of all time i would imagine most teenagers teenagers and children couldn't sit through the wire they wouldn't find it as compelling as i did as kind of an adult in my mid-20s when i first watched it um the wire is a show that like almost exclusively requires that adult attention span and adult experience to understand it fully um that's the best thing i can say about disco elysium like disco elysium there's so much to it it's a superb game design in writing that you'll i've never seen in another game um and it feels so mature and it feels like it really has like a soul and something to tell you, and it kind of does. Um, but it's it's a hard, it's a rough game. Like it requires your attention. This is not something where you can play music in the background. This isn't something where your kids are running around. This is something like either for a late night and a glass of whiskey, <laughs> or early morning and some hot coffee. Like you need to be focused and you need to be ready to kind of like accept the world that is Disco Elysium. The best thing I say is I'm shocked this game even exists. And if it wasn't for my number one game, this game would be number one for 2019. But unfortunately for them, From Software decided to release a bomb this year. And that bomb is named Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. So everyone's probably heard me praise From Software a million times on this podcast. But here goes another round. Sekiro's Shadows Die Twice is an unadulterated game design at its best. The challenges, the combat engine, everything at your disposal is amazing. It's like just when you think you've hit a ceiling in the game, you're challenged to discover kind of like the next elevation of you interacting with the game design. The levels, everything, you can attack levels so many ways a lot of times I find like you can zip around them and kill people you can kill people from afar you can stealth kill people you can run in and just fight them a bunch you can you can do a lot of things and at first when i played the game i was really disappointed because it felt like you you just had a katana and then you're like three arm weapons or two arm weapons you can equip um and i was like yeah this sucks because like dark souls games have a billion weapons um bloodborne had a lot of like 
very different asymmetrically designed weapons that had two different modes, plus you had your gun that you could equip. So I felt like I got gypped, but then you realize like the game is so in-depth and so amazing that, God, I couldn't imagine them putting different types of katanas in the game, really. Like, oh, you had a katana or a greatsword. Like, that would never work in this game. And then outside of combat, it has an amazing ambiance and thematic setting that only front software can achieve. Like, if you played Bloodborne... It's like you, you you never really grasp the story of Bloodborne, or at least I did it. Maybe I'm stupid. <laughs> I had to go on YouTube and watch like a 20-minute video to tell me the story of Bloodborne, and that's after I played it all the way through, beat the bad guy, and got the exclusive like uh, secret ending or whatever, right? That's how I feel about Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. I understand the storyline. I understand like, what's going on politically and setting, but it's just like told in such a unique from software way that you know i really appreciate everything they do in their games and it it comes off as like they design their games and all their choices in their games is very deliberate and it comes off as just perfection and there's so much to absorb and learn in this game it's really deserving of the best game of 2019 all right that's it two-year anniversary review of 2019 it's all coming to an end Uh, (laughs) there was some news this week I'll push it off to next week. Next week, we'll get back in the regular cadence. I'll summarize fundraising, acquisitions, business news, general news, strategy news, everything you come to expect from this podcast. Again, I thank everyone who's listening to this. Um, It's been a great ride. It's not easy. It's not easy doing these podcasts. They take like, you know, anywhere between four and eight hours of the week, depending on how much like research I have to do or looking in a crunch base and investors and these like umbrella companies, THQ Nordic, I'm looking at you with the most confusing umbrella corporation in history. Uh, I just really appreciate it. And I really, you know, it feels good to know that this many people listen to it and you guys are getting something from this. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also leave a comment and let me know how I'm doing. And yep, it's 2019. We did it, guys. Now, everyone... 2020. All right, I'll see you next week for this week in games. Take care.